0: Write on audio the podcast for writers and all who are interested in books literature and the printed word write on audio has moved to a weekly format splitting our content into shorter themed podcasts please be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any of our additions write on audio interviews inspiring you to write by sharing the experience of prominent authors. Our January interview is with novelist, essayist and short story writer Jessica Andrews. Jessica's debut novel, Saltwater, was published by Scepter in 2019 and won the Portico Prize in 2020. Her second novel, Milk Teeth, was published last year. Jessica is a contributing editor at Elle magazine and she writes for The Guardian and for BBC Radio 4. She teaches creative writing at City University London and co-presents the literary podcast Tender Buttons. The interviewer is pen-to-print book challenger and write-on team member Rebecca Seaton. Hi Jessica, lovely to meet you.
1: So if we start with your first novel, yeah. so how did you come to write Saltwater? What, What
2: got you to that point? I did a master's degree in creative writing, which I think definitely isn't the only way to write a book, but for me... I was a bit lost. I didn't really know what I was doing. I hadn't really met any writers before. I didn't really know how to edit my own work. But I didn't actually write the novel on the MA. I was just sort of working in bars and stuff. I was living in London. Um, I didn't have any money. I had too many jobs. Um, And my granddad died and he um, had a house on the, the northwest coast of Ireland in Donegal. It was very run down. It was very remote. I can't drive. I still didn't really have any money, but I decided to go there and work on the book. I knew I wanted to write a novel and I had a sort of idea for how I thought it should be. Um, so I kind of took a risk, I suppose, to to find like, the time yeah. and space to write. And I went there. There was quite a lot of pressure on that time because I kind of like quit all my jobs. I'd moved to this place. I had this idea to write a book and then I got there. And I wrote maybe 20,000 words of the novel that just wasn't right. It just didn't have much life in it. It didn't really feel like it was working. So then I had a bit of a meltdown and thought, oh, my God, I don't actually think I could do it. Um, So I sort of scrapped the idea of writing a novel. And I just decided to sit down and write what I felt like writing every day. And from that, the novel kind of started to emerge naturally. Um, and I think the reason why it began to work or something that I've learned is that um, writing is so much about emotional truth, I think. And I think because I was kind of self-consciously trying to write what I thought a novel should be, it, it lacked kind of sincerity, I think. Um, yeah. And it was only when I sort of got rid of the idea of writing a novel or kind of pushed those preconceptions to one side, the work that came out had more of a truth and a kind of rawness to it which became the book
1: so my my work's fantasy it's a young adult fantasy so quite different in some ways um and the world building's a massive thing for me obviously um i have to sort of explain what people are doing and and why to quite a detail but then I thought about what you were doing and the fact that yours is semi-autobiographical, but in a way you are still world building because you've still got to decide which bits of your own world you're going to include in the world of the book, haven't you? Um, So so how did that work? And is that easier or harder than building a world from scratch?
2: Um, I mean, I've got a lot of admiration for people who write fantasy and build worlds from scratch in that way because that just feels incredible to me to be able to hold all of that and hold all the rules of the world. I guess I'm operating from rules that exist in the real world or a version of the real world. Um, But it's definitely, you know, I guess it's like, even though it's semi-autobiographical, what I'm writing is fiction and you are definitely, you know, you're, you're kind of building a, a version of the world. That's not actually yeah. real, right? Like I'm, I'm depicting. I don't know. Say in saltwater, I'm depicting this pocket of like Sunland in the '90s in one section of it, and you put a lot of craft into evoke a, a particular sensation or sort of flavor of that time. But it's very much the flavor of how it felt to me, and not necessarily how it really is. Um, and I think also when you're writing from lived experience. That like there is a lot of craft involved. I think there's kind of a bit of a misconception where people are like, "Oh, okay, you're just like writing what happened," <laughs> but that th- there's so yeah. much craft because, th- like you know, like life isn't linear and it isn't neat, and there aren't themes. The way that people speak is not the way that you might write in a novel to capture a particular sentiment. So you have to alter things and change things and find a plot and sort of figure out how to like string a thread, I suppose, through events that are real and have happened to kind of um, make them resonate with someone else or to convey a kind of message or feeling. Um, So it it is still a lot of world building and especially I guess I write about place quite a lot. So evoking those places, even though they're real places to kind of really make them come alive for someone It takes a lot of work. And then you're also, I guess, you can be called out on it because everyone has their own version of what (laughs) that world or place is. And hopefully, I guess that's the nice thing. If you've captured a truth about it, it really resonates with people. But I guess you're opening yourself up to criticism too.
1: That's true, actually, because people can't argue with me too much about what this king or queen does. I could just say they do. Yeah, that's true. What you're saying about places—that's quite interesting in your novels, definitely. There's, um, and we're looking at contradictions in our this uh, current magazine coming up. So I wondered if where you've got how you about how you use place really. So in. Milk teeth, you've got contrasting countries, and in salt water you've got kind of northern and southern England. So do the different places link to the protagonists like different thoughts at different points in the story? Does that does place reflect kind of and evoke the emotion of the person at the time?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think place is important in my books in a way that the places are almost characters within themselves. Like they're very much part of the story, or hope that they are. And I think I guess with both novels, they sort of serve in different ways. they sort of serve for as metaphors for the ways in which the protagonists are lost. Like I think I'm interested in writing about people who are like dislocated in the world in some way, either because they've lost their home or they can't find a home or they're kind of encountering difference in some way and trying to find a place where they'll fit. And with saltwater, I guess there, you know, there's Northern England, there's Southern England, which I use to sort of talk about the North-South divide. But there's also a section set in Ireland, which kind of serves, I mean, in some ways in that book, that's a narrative device. So the section in Ireland is set in the present tense and it's the place where she's kind of looking back on all of these things that have happened to her. So in terms of that book, Ireland is kind of like the skeleton or the backbone of the novel. So as well as a symbolic function for kind of like her family history and the things she's trying to work out for herself, it also has a a craft function I suppose. Yeah. And within Milk Teeth, I did actually try a version of Milk Teeth because the character's kind of, it's mostly set in Barcelona but she's flitting around between these different places and I did try a version that had less flitting around in it and was more centrally located in Spain. But it's it just didn't work because the I felt like the way in which the protagonist was trying to fit in her body and fit in with the world. It was also really mirrored in the way that like she felt shut out of a lot of places and she couldn't find a home. And I really wanted the Barcelona sections to feel very embodied and expansive. And I felt like to really capture that, it needed the contrast of these like harder edge cities like Paris or London where she felt shut out. How do you capture the sort of sensory flavour of that place? Um, Mm -hmm. And I guess I think it depends. It depends how important place is in a novel as well, I suppose. You know, you could write a novel that was set in a room and you didn't mention the room or even where it was if it was very sort of person-led. But for me, the characters are very affected by the place that they're in.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
2: almost as if the place kind of it doesn't have a will of its own but almost as if it did you know i was working on a play adaptation of saltwater and we had this idea that we could conjure the different settings through smells um so you know island would be kind of like these turf fires and this sort of like whiskey smell but then we were like oh yeah ha- what is the what is the smell the smell of Sunderland? <laughs> <laughs> uh but for me it would be kind of like Damp pavements, sea air, spilled beer. There's also sort of a, I think whenever I go there, now having not lived there for a while, the the sky seems really expansive. There are lots of kind of like browns and dark greens in a way that feels very reassuring. And it can be a little bit melancholy, but it's also got a real kind of like warmth and rootedness. I think when I go there I often feel very grounded which is partly to do with it being my home but it has something sort of solid about it, I think.
1: That's the thing about home though, isn't it? That's how we know it's home, is we know it so well. I liked as well what you were saying there about how, how you've changed the story there where you thought it was going to be more in one place and adapted it and maybe that's part of finding your voice is sometimes it's trial and error, isn't it? Sometimes it's which things or don't
2: work. Yeah, definitely. Um, um with with actually both books, I tried to write them in third person first, uh, and it didn't work both times. Um, and I guess like partly it's because they're both quite interior novels in different ways, and you really need to be inside of the protagonist's head and body and experiences. But I think probably because I am often writing Either semi-autobiographically or sort of like heavily fictionalized version of real emotions. I think in the beginning it feels easier to distance myself from that by writing in third person, but it's not necessarily what the book needs. Maybe it's what I need to see things from a different perspective, but it's not always what the book needs. And I think you can you can only learn that stuff by trying it.
1: That's quite interesting, though, to kind of write in one almost as your planning stage and then translate really. So thinking again about like the contradiction thing, um, you've got a very unique style we've talked about a little bit already, almost a kind of less is more approach to your novels where it's, it's not a traditional novel, is it? In the way that it's written, it's more sort of poetic. Um, it feels like there's almost a power in that space there that you're almost allowing the reader to come in and fill in the gaps a little bit. So in some ways it was almost like a, not toned down, but almost like a space that's allowing people to do things. But then in other ways, there's quite a strong voice, like you say, for the working class and for for the North as well. Is that a contradiction or is there a balance between a time for silence and a time for boldness?
2: I suppose the thing about letting the reader like, do some of the work or work out some things for themselves is to do... With sort of nuance I think and and I guess because they are like heavily interior novels and they're concerned very much with like emotional life and the emotions of families and relationships I feel like there needs to be subtlety I think for it to work and to kind of like create a sense of nuance and I think as a writer I feel like I don't want to spell things out for the reader all of the Hmm. time and then in terms of kind of having a sort of strong voice or maybe sometimes, obviously sometimes saying things as they really are. I guess it's also about where where do you want to leave that nuance and where is it? where does it feel okay for the readers to fill in the gaps and where does it feel important to sort of claim that space or maybe if it's something that, for example, if it's something that I haven't seen represented a lot, then maybe it feels important to make that really clear. Um, Whereas with other tropes that maybe a reader has seen often, like, I don't know, you know, milk teeth is a love story in lots of ways. And that doesn't feel as essential just to spell that out to people because people know how it goes. So that allows you a little bit more freedom. I think when you're working with like a form that people know and recognize very well or, or genre, but yeah, maybe it's like when you're representing something that you haven't seen represented, like there's a need for more clarity.
3: I was just quite interested because it's something that I've been asking myself. And I suppose, you know, it's part of what we're talking about nuance and space in writing. Um, in, in terms of your writing degree that you talked about at the beginning, Jessica, many writers wonder whether it's worth doing because obviously it's quite an investment in terms of time and money. And many people think that actually that's probably the best way to get published. Um, I'd love to know what the most important takeaway was for you of that time, like things that you you learned that you might not have done otherwise.
2: Yeah, for me, I think it was actually a lot about confidence. So I did an English literature undergraduate degree, and I actually found it quite difficult. And I struggled a lot. And I wasn't like super engaged as a student. And I think partly that's because like, I was the first person in my family to go to university. I moved to London. It was all quite a lot. And there wasn't a lot of support in place at that time. And doing the master's really gave me this confidence that I hadn't had at all during, during my undergrad degree. I'd never really met a writer before. And, you know, my teachers were professional writers. It made it seem like that was something I could do. It introduced me to... Books that I hadn't read before, it kind of taught me how to read as a writer, I think, as opposed to like an academic, which I think Uh is a different skill. I also made friends who were writers. I think it's really important to have that circle around you. I guess I now actually teach creative writing at a university, so I (laughs) I have to have a different perspective on it now. And I think it's definitely not the only way to become a writer. And I think people often come to the course, thinking that they're gonna sit down, start a novel, they'll finish the course, and they'll publish the novel. But I actually see it much more as like, it's a space to experiment and try things out. And to encounter things that you like things that you dislike, to sort of be confronted with things and to move into new spaces. I think it's almost like it's the work you're going to do before you write a novel, I think, yeah. a lot of the time. And I think if you treat it like that, it can be really valuable. But I think if you expect that you're just going to sit down and at the end of the year, you're going to have a novel published. Amazing if that happens. But um, I think it's not the best approach, maybe. Yeah.
3: That's good. I mean, that's almost like comes back to our contradictions theme, you know, the contradiction between expectations and what actually happens. Um, I know when I wrote my novel and got my publishing deal, um, I kind of thought, you know, well, I'm going to sell at least 10,000. You know, that's what's going to happen. And, you know, because you just don't know. And even though my world had been journalism and magazine publishing, you know, I didn't my my expectations just did not match at all what happened. And certainly um, launching in lockdown <laughs> didn't do me any favors either. But, um, you know, I, I just find that really I, I really love that description. Because I think very often people see writing as quite transactional. And I think that space you talk about is much, much more important in terms of that confidence and that own personal space to develop. But we don't allow ourselves the time. And I haven't written properly creatively for a long while. And that's partly because I haven't allowed myself that space because it's easier being transactional.
2: Definitely. Um, And I think mm. the value of like having a time and space and someone saying to you like, yeah, you're a writer. You sit down and write a short story. People in the class will discuss it. It will be valued. Like, I think that can be really valuable as well.
3: Uh, That's brilliant. Thank you so much. Sorry, Rebecca. I know you have several more questions, but it just fascinated me because it's something I've been thinking about myself.
1: But I think there's something there about the creative process and how I think it's come up in earlier questions. There's a thread there about freedom of expression, isn't there? And I think sometimes as writers, people can say, oh yeah, I'm really creative. And they they might be creative with the characters or the description but like you said they're not very creative about what they expect out of a course or a writing group or you can still have fixed co- ideas it's like actually how create, creative are we with the whole process itself um that's that's the bigger kind of learning really isn't it
2: um, yeah definitely and i think when you're writing you know you have like your creative mind and then your editing mind and it can be really difficult sometimes to silence the critical editing line. I'm sure you've experienced that. Um, but the real creative work really is, is in the other part, I think.
1: Yeah. So are you good at getting the whole thing down and then going back to edit, or do you edit as you go along? Are you able to leave that editing voice till later? or?
2: Um, I tend to edit as I go along, but almost just sort of kind of like loosely edit, I suppose. And then when I've got a draft, I'll put the very close editor hat on. Uh, But it's hard. It's difficult, I think.
1: Mm, I think so. You're like, oh, but I'll just tweak that. It's like, no, no, get through it. Um, Something that came with the, the working class thing, and I don't know if you were aware, we were aware of some like debates on kind of Twitter and social media about that kind of thing is, what actually is working class? Is that something that we can define? Would you say it is? Or how would you... Was that a contradiction in itself trying to?
2: It's a difficult one because it's also like... So when I sat down to write Saltwater, I didn't sat sit down thinking, oh, I'm going to write a working class novel. I thought, I'm going to no- write a novel that's set in the world where I grew up and it kind of addresses, addresses the experiences of my family and... You know my childhood and my teenage years and i guess it was afterwards when i sent it to publishers people are, are like oh so this is a working class story so you know it, it's kind of a classification that was put on my work you know i can see that and i do agree it's a working class story and i feel like i found that i had a lot to say actually um about mm. aspects of class but i think there's also there's like so many different ways to be working class and I think like class is so contested in society people saying like well is it are you the first person to go to university what jobs did your parents do what kind of house did you live in what kind of and does that change as you you know you move through life and you have a different job or and I guess it's about more to do with that the fact that the stories that have been told historically are often actually one kind of story. And it's not like there's one kind of working class story to be told as an alternative. It's like there's many. And I guess, I suppose with my writing, I feel like I'm telling one version of a working class story that's actually pretty specific and personal. But I guess you hope that within that, it kind of makes space for like lots of other different versions. So yeah, I think it's it's complex and it's difficult to define, but also it is a really valid thing to talk about, you know. I wouldn't just say, oh, well, we don't need to have labels or whatever, because it's a real issue and it's useful to to write about it, I think.
1: Um so we've talked about two novels that are quite interesting. Um all sorts of stuff to come out of those. And and you have done poetry and other things as well. And creative writing. Let's not forget that and teaching it. But you still have time to co-run the Grapevine, an online literary magazine. um So, what attracted you to that as a project? Because that that seems quite different in some ways.
2: So, I actually set it up with a friend who I met on Miami, and we were running it actually before I had published the books, and we kind of set it up we had sort of lots of friends at the time who were in like DIY punk bands who kind of organized their own shows all the time and and kind of made their own zines. And I suppose we wanted to take that approach to writing. And I think we felt like we wanted to create a bit of a community. We wanted to put on events. We organized quite a few events through it. And it also felt like we had lots of friends who were making interesting work that maybe wasn't getting picked up by sort of mainstream publishers for different reasons. And I guess we thought, okay, (laughs) well, we could just publish it ourselves. And I would really love my kind of dream with it would be that we could turn it into like a small feminist press one day. But I think that's a little while off. But I think there's something, you know, I also think there's something really, as a writer, I think it's also really important to kind of be a reader and to be a listener. And it feels like a really nice kind of equitable thing to read other people's work and promote other people's work mm-hmm. it feels like a a nice position to be in to also be able to do that
1: so do you have a team of people that read you have beta readers that read your work is that something you would do for other people as well
2: you mean within the grapevine or within uh, yeah well generally uh, really Either. Uh, so I guess all the reading That all the reading and editing that we do within the grapevine is just like we're a very small team, me and Kat. It's us who would do it and give feedback. For my own work, I do, I have a first reader who is my partner, who is also a writer. And I'm also, I'm actually in the process of setting up a writing group with some friends, kind of because I want to move in a slightly new direction. And it feels nice to be able to share that with some people first. And I'm also setting up like a, a sort of mentoring service where people could submit their manuscripts or they could submit a bit of writing and I could meet with them and kind of talk through it with them and give them feedback.
1: There's a lot of opportunity for give and take there isn't there and again that's a different way of looking at creativity isn't it?
2: Yeah definitely I think as a teacher as well you know I'm like marking students work all the time and you actually you learn a lot as a writer I think by doing that or you you have to, you have to justify why something isn't working if you're the, if you're the teacher and that's really good for your own practice to rather than just using your intuition thinking yeah this line of dialogue is bad you actually have to explain what's not working about it which you can then learn from yourself i think
1: so we talked about a lot of things i think where you can draw inspiration from things and be creative but what happens when things go a bit wrong what happens when there are obstacles and you kind of Either it's like that kind of brick wall or it's just not happening. What What advice have you got for other authors at that point?
2: I think for me, the biggest obstacle I have, which is probably, I reckon, the biggest obstacle there is, uh, is like a crisis of confidence. So when you get into that real sort of self-doubt thing and you feel like everything you're writing is rubbish and no one's going to be interested and you should just scrap it all. And the few things I found to combat that, one of them is just... Kind of like keep going, keep writing and writing and writing until you've got, I don't know, 8,000 words before you read it back. Because I think if you get too critical too early on, you just keep deleting everything you've written. I think it can also really help to show it to another person, a person you trust, like having a first reader. is really useful because I think when you get lost in it and lost in your own head, sometimes you just need someone to tell you like, yeah, this bit's great. (laughs) Keep going. Another thing I guess is kind of like rereading books that I love to kind of remind you why you like writing and what makes you feel excited about it. And I also think like taking time off, you know, I think if something's not working and you're feeling really frustrated, like to go and have a day where you do something else can just be really useful. And often I find ideas Ideas will come to me when I'm actually thinking about something else. Sometimes your brain just needs to switch off from it, I think, which can be hard to do, <laughs> but it, it is useful.
1: Definitely that that brain break, yeah. Because because none of us are just writers, are we? We also and I think it's good to have a well-rounded life. Well you need something to draw on for the writing, don't you?
2: Yeah, definitely. It's also very isolating writing. So you need other stuff to combat that, I think
1: definitely um well before we finish um what's been your what's your next step then You've Got a lot of balls in the air already and things that you're working on but what's your kind of next big project
2: um so i i have an idea for a book that i'm sort of loosely working on that i'm not really gonna i haven't talked about it oh, okay. but I, I think it might be not fiction <laughs> as opposed to fiction I can say
1: well thank you jessica it's been great to meet someone who's creative in every sense of the word and not afraid of taking something and making something quite different with
2: it oh thank you and thanks for your lovely questions
0: thank you to jessica andrews for being our first interview subject of 2023 we'll print links to her website and to the tender buttons podcast in the show notes for this podcast join us next week for our february writing tips We're always delighted to read your contributions. So if you'd like to see your words in Write On or hear them on this podcast, please get in touch. We'll share this link and all others mentioned in today's podcast as part of our show notes. I've been Tiffany Clare and you've been listening to Write On Audio. Write On Audio is produced by Chris Gregory and it's an Alternative Stories production for Pen to Print.